Thought Bubble Audio. Hi, and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we take a look at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is my friend who just wishes that he was a gangster in his own time. It's Palmer. How are you today? Uh, you can't ask me that question. It's a HIPAA violation. Uh, it's not a HIPAA violation? I don't think sure it is. Everything's not. a HIPAA violation. Yeah, yeah. You're out of order. This is a HIPAA <laughs> violation. I just asked how your day was going. That's a HIPAA violation. What do you mean HIPAA only applies to people in the medical profession? Profession, yeah. <laughs> who took a Hippocratic oath. That's correct. And you are neither. You did not take any oaths and you are definitely not a medical professional. You don't know that. I definitely know that. I have a life outside this podcast, you know. I know. I know you do. Um, it's not a medical one, though. So let's get started. These are the movies uh, of the 1982 Best Picture nominees. They are as follows. Chariots of Fire, On Golden Pond, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Atlantic City, and and Reds. Palmer, what won Best Picture? Who the hell knows? Uh, on Golden Pond. Uh, you are incorrect. It is Chariots of Fire. Uh, all right. Yeah. I thought I thought that might have been it, but I was like, yeah. Yeah. Let's go with the old. Let's go with the movie about the old senile person. At least you knew it wasn't Atlantic City. That was that's the important part. To, <laughs> though, the, though the Oscars have surprised us many times, so who knows? But let's start with a movie that we haven't mentioned in the last two seconds: Reds, directed by Warren Beatty, written by Warren Beatty and Trevor Griffiths, starring Warren Beatty, Diane Keaton, Edward Herman, Jack Nicholson, Gene Hackman, and Maureen Stapleton. The movie was nominated for Best Picture, Actor for Beatty, Actress for Keaton, Supporting Actor for Nicholson, Original Screenplay, Art Direction, Costume Design, Sound, and Editing. It won Best Supporting Actress for Stapleton, Director for Beatty, and Cinematography. The hmm. plot, I know, it's like, what a weird, like, breakdown. Um, yeah. Yeah. The plot is about a radical American journalist who becomes involved with the communist revolution in Russia in hopes to bring its spirit and idealism to the United States. This is uh, this movie is based on a true story um, uh, about a guy whose name I've already forgotten. Red something. No, it's not <laughs> Red Skelton. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, uh, I wasn't sure really what to expect going into this movie um, because I, I didn't really, I, you know, I didn't know, I, I didn't know the person. Um, I only knew the the faintest outline of the of the story and. And I don't want to say that it was all over the place, but it's certainly like it's almost like the, the life and times of Warren Beatty. Like that's, but it's actually, like, <laughs> but it's actually the life and times of Diane Keaton, and Warren Beatty happens to be there. Um, so I really, yeah, I would say she's. Uh, there are times it feels like she's more of the main character. Yeah, I, I truthfully, I feel like she really is the main character, and it's it's really about their relate. It's really about their relationship, right? And I'm gonna um actually hmm. John Reed. That's his name. Um, so John Reed, who was an American journalist, and Louise Bryan, who were just um, they they were in this like on on again off again relationship um, at the turn of the century, and he's like super socialist. He was part of the American Socialist Party, um, and she's also that. And then there she gets involved with playwright Eugene O'Neill, played by Jack Nicholson, and he's like, you know, I'm Jack Nicholson. I can treat you right, you know, but you're with this garbage Warren Beatty. Um, and she's like, yes, but I'm volatile, and I write about what I want to write about and I do yeah I I thought it was extremely well acted it was one of the first times that I was like oh Diane Keaton isn't playing someone who's like nice and wearing a turtleneck mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. like I, I thought she was I it was her in her younger days yeah I thought she was I thought she was just amazing and the film does a really I think it does a good job at getting you on kind of getting you on their side or their or or at least at least allowing you to look at their political motivations um, because they're, you know, they're very anti-war and it's all about justice for the poor and the downtrodden and all this and all of this stuff. And you're like, this is, you know, again, they're talking about like the capitalist machine and all that stuff. And you're like, this, this is still a relevant film that was made in the 80s about something that took place in, you know, the turn of the century, you know, and, and like I'm everything they're talking about, I'm like this still works. It's like what they're what they're going through, what they're talking about, what they're trying to accomplish. Um, and so I thought that was I thought that was very i thought that was good for its timeless quality truthfully i think the best part of the film were the, was the real life interviews with people that knew them you know like you know these like it, these like spliced these spliced stories of you know like oh well you know i knew louise 
movies and, you know, we were very close friends when we were children and blah, blah. I thought that stuff was really interesting. No. I, no, you didn't no. like that? No. Why, why it, not? For one, this movie's like 14 hours long. So just taking out those, you automatically get like maybe a two, two and a half hour movie. Like you get you get a significantly shorter film for something that doesn't really add anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It adds background, but that's not the story that the movie's trying to tell. Yeah. And as far as getting them, getting you on the side with their ideals, there's a there's a quote from The Simpsons in which which actually like sums up this movie pretty well. And uh, Homer is talking about stuff that works in theory, and he's like, in theory, communism works. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, when you hear like their ideals, yeah, it sounds great. It sounds it sounds like something we should strive for. But even then, like as you get towards the end of the picture, the lady in Russia that Beatty is friends with that's who's kind of, yeah yeah who's kind of like kind of mentoring him and kind of helping him through everything like even she's like towards the end she's like well this doesn't actually work in practice mm-hmm. that's right and like he's so he's so far down the rabbit hole like he still thinks it can change and it can't because inherently people will do what's best for themselves correct no matter what the no matter what the overall ideal of the of the regime is correct but I thought I think that it I think the film does a a good job though at like bringing you along in his emotional or their emotional and political journey and then kind of laying that on you at the end like oh by the way like this is what this is also what he kind of crumbled with towards the you know or dealt with towards the end of his towards the end of his life I I, I thought yeah. the movie was too long for the story they were telling but in some ways I thought because I well I read um the like p- synopsis of the film and it was like a, a you know a journalist goes to Russia to to write about the the Bolshevik revolution and I'm like that doesn't happen to like two hours into the movie like mm. it's it that's like that's nuts that's nuts today that or that's that's nuts that they think that like that's really what the movie's about but I think you need that two hours to get on his side before he you just like oh he's kind of liberal or whatever or he's a socialist and now he's really socialist by by the time he comes back from Russia um I think you, you needed their their own ups and downs. Yeah, but I think the hardest part, the hardest thing that the movie has going for it is if you have any sort of semblance of history, doesn't even have to be like history from 1900 or 1920 or 1930 when this movie takes place. Really just like Cuba, mm-hmm. you know, recently and Russia up until like the 80s, you know, are both communist regimes that you know doesn't work. And because of that, it's really hard to get on his side when he's when he's like really trying to prop up the uh, the Bolsheviks and you're like but no it's not like it doesn't turn out well like stop you're not right sure right but that's I mean but that's um, like we know that watching this film but like, right but that's what I'm saying like it's a hard it's a hard sell to try and get me on his side when you know historically he is wrong sure you know but I but I think that he and Louise are also so volatile in their relationships a lot of times they, they actually come across quite unlikable throughout most of the film um and not he less so but also like he has tendencies that like i don't agree with as as a viewer um you know when he's like oh yeah like i've he's like i've slept with lots of people i'm sure you have too blah 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 it's nothing like and she had right and so but she gets she gets mad about it anyway and i'm like well that's double-edged sword kind of from both of you the way that you're approaching this and and so um but the my point is that i found myself wrapped in the story like regardless of all of that i was i found myself still invested i was more wrapped in learning about what was happening than the main than their tale because i mean it was just another basic like love hate love hate love hate love relationship that i've seen many many times over set to an histo like a uh, historic background so i was more interested in the historic background not because i didn't know what was going to happen, but because I didn't know too much about the inner workings and the build-up, you know, mm-hmm. to you know, to to Russia being this world power, you know, taking up most of Asia, you know, un, you know, before, you know, when it was still on the rise, because uh, my only memory of it is pretty much right around the fall. 
Sure, sure. Your memory of it as like you remember it from when you were a kid. Memory of it, right? Yeah, because you're very old. Like when we were, like yeah. Well, no, because when we were in school, you know, Russia oh, th- took th- up most of meant, Asia. I thought you meant like the the fall of the Romanovs, not like the collapse of no, 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 not no, no, the no. collapse of the no, Soviet no. Union. I know it happened during the fall of the Romanovs. I saw, I've seen Anastasia. Yeah, he's close enough. But this is, but this is in between the fall of the Romanovs and the rise of communism. There was like there was that period of time where like. Russia became France, mm-hmm. where it was like, get rid of the government. Three weeks later, this government sucks too. Get rid of it. Yeah. Uh, politics. <laughs> yeah, it's a little long, but I think it's well developed. Because it's a we- of the interviews. But no, but I, I, it's a, I think it's a well developed character piece set amongst a film about political turmoil, and I found it really engaging. As do many people. Apparently, it's, um, it's on AFI's top ten um, historical epics of all time or something like that. That is because they're all liberal socialists. Sure, you know, but so but, are I you, mean, so. <laughs> I'm liberal. I wouldn't necessarily call myself a socialist. Yeah. Um, give me some fun facts while you're thinking about socialism. Warren Beatty took time out to explain to the extras what the film was about. After a lecture on the wor- on the rights of the working man during filming in Spain, the extras took the message to heart and refused to return to work, saying that they felt exploited. Beatty, appreciating the irony, increased their wages. Good for that guy, Warren Beatty. What a gem! The picture, the picture utilized two and a half million feet of film. Some estimates put it at three million feet. This equates to about two and a half weeks of screen time. One million feet are said to have been printed. The weight of the film stock shipped from England to the U.S. is believed to have weighed about five tons. That's ridiculous. Too many tons for a movie. Far too many. The first film to use the ENR variable silver retention development process developed by Ernesto Novelli Rimi at Technicolor Rome. Cinematographer Vittorio Storaro played with shades of color shooting Tucker, the man in his dream, and Dick Tracy. Mm, Dick Tracy, great movie. Yeah, there's um, there's a lot more like like good trivia bits, like you know, there's that you know, there's that thing of like Orson Welles like spending hours on takes of like one line, mm-hmm. and apparently Warren Beatty went to his school because. <laughs> because Jack Nicholson would never like he did the he did the part as a as a favor to Warren Beatty mm-hmm. pretty much and like he was like I'm I'm never working with you again wow wow <laughs> because like I there was one that was like 99 takes or something what yeah and he didn't even win probably no he didn't win no I no, no he did he got nominated but he didn't win he lost to somebody else I think probably that's usually what happens when you don't win yeah no I. It's not listed here, though, in our five movies. So whoever won Best Supporting in '82 wasn't one of the five. One of, wasn't one of the five Best Picture nominees. No, it is one of the five Best Picture nominees, though. Atlantic City, directed by Louise Mal Malé Malal. I'll say Mal. Written by John Malala. Malala. No, it's definitely not. Written by John Guare, starring Burt Lancaster, Susan Sarandon, Kate Reed, and Michael Piccoli. Nominated for Best Picture, actor for Lancaster, actress for Sarandon, director, original screenplay. This movie won. No awards. Uh, it is about the corrupt city of Atlantic City, a small-time gangster and the estranged wife of a pot dealer who find themselves thrown together in an escapade of love, money, drugs, and danger. It's really about Susan Sarandon who wants to escape her life as, you know, just an oyster shucker at a casino and Burt Lancaster who was a gangster in his time but he never really made it anywhere as a gangster, never really murdered anybody or did anything. He was all small time and it's really about him like fulfilling his dream of being the gangster that people revered and feared and whatever and her trying to escape and man this movie was boring <laughs> yeah like I don't who were there only five movies this year oh our favorite game what else came out in 1981 because, because literally any other movie could have gotten nominated over this the only thing I did find that some parts of the story worked like like what I just described sounds like a good movie like it yeah but you're not gonna nominate like did they did no one like see the movie and they just read the write-up like oh you know what this sounded like a good movie we should nominate it you're gonna be upset about some of the movies that could have been nominated this year but but weren't okay let's start let's start weird heavy metal 
Ugh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, stripes. Uh, History of the World Part 1. Ooh. Clash of the Titans. The remake. <gasps> that should have gotten nominated. It wasn't the remake. <laughs> <laughs> um, Excalibur. Nah. Escape from New York. Nah. Das Boot. Das Boot. Das Boot. Mad Max 2. Halloween 2. Ooh. Porkies. Nah. The Evil Dead. Yeah, see, The Evil Dead should have gotten nominated. I'm not, I'm not against that. It's a great movie. Um, yeah. For Your Eyes Only. Um, Arthur. The Fox and the Hound. One of the saddest Disney movies ever made. Uh, uh, no, that's Dumbo. I said one of the saddest. Not Dumbo the is the saddest. Dumbo is so sad it takes up all slots, all the spaces. Um, yep. An American Werewolf in London, mm. Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Up, oh, we, we have a we have a yeah no very popular Part Twos. A lot of winner. We have a winner here though. The Great Muppet Caper. Uh, that's not the best one. I know it's not, but you know clearly there actually weren't tons of great movies coming out this year. Oh, The Howling also came out that year. The other werewolf yeah. movie. <laughs> the other werewolf movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah. I mean, there's still a couple in there just for, just like Evil Dead, you know, granted, in retrospect, it changes. It's a very significant film in many ways. It's not a It's not a best picture film. It's a significant film yeah, for neither is film this movie. history. No, it's true. I don't, yeah, but if you, it's true, because if you're going backwards and being like, what are the important movies that ha- were made? This is not one of them, but Evil Dead is definitely one of them. Yeah, but even then, like, just looking at it from a you're right like in theory evil dead is not a best picture although i think it's a great film um but again like when i'm comparing the two evil Dead's better than atlantic city no it is like yeah. you want to you want to you want to try and sell me on the fact that like burt lancaster deserves to get nominated that's that i can listen to mm-hmm. he's really good in this he film is. he's excellent he's he, he's an understated person who at times just reminds me of like burt lancaster doing paul newman yep like in paul and maybe it's just like the like the old guy type thing but like Susan Sarandon's fine in this I know she was nominated I don't I don't know if I would particularly agree with it although hearing some of the other films that year you know they're they weren't like maybe the strongest on the acting side so mm-hmm. all right like I'm fine with her nomination I'm kind of fine with anyone's nomination in this movie they all kind of act they they act their parts you know to the best of their ability yep. but I don't think they ever elevate the material just because I don't think the material can really get elevated no I don't think so either it's 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 a little plotting for the story it wants to tell there's just a lot of scenes of Burt Lancaster watching Susan Sarandon bathe in her sink through their like yeah. through their adjoining windows like this what yeah yeah this and is then, essentially this is essentially Lord of the Rings if there were scenes of Sam watching Frodo bathe in his sink with lemons I don't think which anybody, might be I don't, I don't know. think anybody in the world would agree with you I would yeah you can't agree with yourself because you said well it. St- yeah, but obviously if I didn't agree with myself, that would be a problem. Yeah, I sometimes I think you actually don't agree with yourself. You just say things, and in your mind you're like, I don't actually agree with that, but I can't say that. I can't say that out loud because <laughs> I've said it. <laughs> I I own what I say. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, there's just as much walking in this movie as there is in Lord of the Rings. There's definitely not as much walking. There's a lot more oyster shucking though. Um, only by like one scene. Yeah, this is the, this is a film that I find is the. It's part of that, like, you know, like I call them the sexy 80s, right? Where you're like, here's naked Susan Sarandon bathing in her sink for no reason. And you're going to watch it a couple of times. Like, there's, there's, yes, okay, she doesn't make a lot of money. I don't need to see her bathing with lemons, you know, and then have this conversation later where this old man is like, you know, I watch you when you, when you're naked and you, and she's like, okay. Cool. cool. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that information. Yeah. Not react to it, clearly. Yeah. Give me some facts about this movie. What's the deal with the lemons? Susan. <laughs> uh, give me some fun facts, please. Although it received... Wait, that's not it. Uh, this is Atlantic City. In his conversation with Buddy, the reminiscent bathroom attendant, Lou mentions an incident that involved Nucky Johnson. Johnson was one of the most powerful New Jersey Republicans and a racketeer with the mob who ran Atlantic City from 1910 to 1941 before being jailed in 1941 for income tax evasion, which he served four years in prison. A fictionalized version of Nucky Jones, rechristened Nucky Thompson, was depicted in the popular TV series Boardwalk Empire. Wow. The gigantic elephant structure with a top 
a balcony. No, this is not with... about Moulin Rouge. Get that out of here. No, it is. No. <laughs> the giant elephant structure with a top balcony viewing seen at the beginning of the picture is called Lucy. It was built in 1881 for Margate, then known as South Atlantic City, as an attraction for both tourists and potential property buyers. Lucy was deteriorating and could have almost been demolished around the early 1970s until she was saved by the town's residents and is listed on the National Register of Historic Places. Hooray! <laughs> Actress Ginger Rogers was offered the role of Grace but turned it down, the part in the end being played by Kate Reed. Reportedly, Rogers replied with a note saying, How dare you, at this stage in my career, that I'm going to end up in this filth? Ah, Ginger Rogers. I agree with her. You were wise beyond yeah, your years. I agree with her. <laughs> oh, well, that was three. Yeah, oh, awful. You know what isn't awful, though? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Let's talk about it. Directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Lawrence Kasdan, story by George Lucas and Philip Kaufman, starring Harrison Ford, Karen Allen, Paul Freeman, John Rice davies Donald Lacey, and Don Holm Elliott, nominated for Best Picture, Director, Cinematography, and Music, was movie one best art direction, sound, editing, visual effects, and a special achievement for sound effects editing. The story revolves around Indiana Jones, a 19, in 1936, an archaeologist and adventurer who was hired by the U.S. government to find the Ark of the Covenant before Adolf Hitler's Nazis can obtain its awesome powers. Um, is the classic Indiana Jones. Many, If you want to talk about movies that are important to film history, um, but are actually nominated, here's one of them for you. Um, it's great. It's not my, f I've seen, I mean, uh, who, many people obviously have seen Indiana Jones. It's not my favorite of the indies. Last Crusade's my favorite. Though I do think that this might be the best film. Like, I can see, like, it, the, like the cinematography is excellent. Um, it's good, clean, old. It's good, clean, old fun. But it uh, it gives you, it still gives you, there's still a little bit of heft to it, um, which I enjoy. It's not just indie on an adventure, but it's like, you know, he starts the film with like, you know, I don't believe in i don't believe in magic or this or anything like that i'm going after um a, an artifact of historical importance and then by the end you have this guy who's like you know not watching people's faces get melt off by the power of god right and so he has to like he confronts his own like he has to confront his own belief system even by the end of it but i think there's a lot of good character work here like um visual character work inside of raiders um which is which is really strong like i love when he's talking to marcus in his house talking Talking about going after the Ark of the Covenant, and he's like, "You know me, Marcus. I'm like, I'm always, you know, I'm always prepared. I'm always, um, I'm always safe for something like that." And he's holding mm -hmm. a gun, and then he just throws the gun into his suitcase from across the room. He's like, "I'm always careful." Throws gun, <laughs> like, and yeah, it, that was the point of it. I know, and that's like, that's really strong. That's really strong character work. Um, and so yeah, I don't know what else to be said about Indiana Jones that hasn't been said by many, many people over the years. Well, it hasn't been said by us. That's true. Um, so minute one. So. <laughs> Start now. Yeah. Um, Press play. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I, I think that it's it, it, this sits in the same category when movies like um, it's like Jaws or Star Wars or anything like that. It's like here's or this. Or Jaws Wars. Yeah, Jaws Wars. I'd watch that. Um, I know you would. I, yeah. So it's um it's it's something people enjoyed but it, it the at least the Academy also recognizes that like like, well, this is really well put. This is a really well put together film. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just fun for the sake of being fun, or it wasn't slapdashed or anything like that. It's it's well constructed, and um, and it was excellent then, and it's excellent now. Yeah, it definitely holds up. And you're right. Uh, Last Crusade is easily the best one, but you can't really get to Last Crusade until you do this one. Yeah, I think you know, one, I think this one is even just a little bit. I think it's better filmed. I think the cinematography in this. I think it's better. Um, there's a there's a lot of really good use of shadow, like low-key lighting, the shadows. Like there's a lot of like um, people's eyes through like you know a screen or through the, like you know that kind of thing. So they're like playing with um, uh, they're playing with that uh, uh, what do you call it? Like the um, like old serial style, but they're right. but they're making it they're making it better and and it, it's strong. It's strong work. Yeah, and I think the reason why you have that in this movie and not necessarily in in um, Last Crusade is because they do it again in Temple of Doom. So by the time you get to Last Crusade, they're like, we've already done this. Let's try something different. So that's why I think I think Last Crusade feels like a different type of Indiana Jones movie mm -hmm. than the first two. Uh, but as far as this one goes, 
I totally agree. Like it, the the story is kind of on point. Uh, Harrison Ford plays Indiana Jones perfectly. The surrounding cast, you know, is just so good. I I always love I always love Marcus. Oh yeah, I love Marcus when he shows up. You know. Yep. You have John Rice Davies playing an Egyptian for reasons. It's fine. Don't worry about yep. it. Move yep. on. Yep. <laughs> it's the '80s. It's fine. Yep. Um. You know, John Williams' score a is pretty good. Yeah. Is a classic and was actually like he come up with two different themes and they were like how about both of them mm-hmm. and he was like okay and he just kind of slashed them to get you know mashed them together and that's what, that's what we get the theme from so so everything and because it's supposed to like remind you of the old adventure serials like they do a really good job of capturing that feel and not making it feel dated correct right i mean because it doesn't there are parts that of it just because by the nature of it being several you know decades old now feel a little dated but there's not tons in here that like that has changed in movies apart from you know a little more green screen here less practical effect here like when that when that truck explodes it really explodes or you know like that that kind of stuff but you know this um it's it's still um it's still engaging and i think the editing has a lot to do with that where just kind of like like star wars it's it's quick you know it's it's quickly edited so it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel like a lot of the other movies of its time um so especially after watching atlantic city gosh yeah well yeah this is the last one that i watched um yep so uh, same yeah because it was always especially if it's one that i've seen several times it's always the last one because if i don't get to it exactly i can be like i can confidently review it without having to re-watch all of it like if i you know but i'm like yeah i want to watch it again so you know same you know same thing happened with moulin rouge and that so Mm -hmm. yeah it was the last one and did i oh no I had watched Chariots of Fire just before this one. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah, quite quite different. But anyway, give me some yeah. fun facts on, on Raiders. The out-of-control airplane actually ran over Harrison Ford's knee, tearing a ligament in his left leg. Luckily for him, the heat had turned the rubber tires soft so it did not crush the bone. Rather than submit to Tunisian health care, Ford had his knee wrapped in ice and carried on. It's typical Harrison Ford. Injured on set. Something to do with his leg, usually. And then, yep. and then just goes with it anyway. Yeah. The models used for the German U-boat were rented from the production company that was making Das Boot in the same area at the time. The company had, however, had forgotten to tell this to the crew of Das Boot, who were surprised to find the model suddenly missing. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, who was the director of Das Boot? Um, I can check for you. I still have all the, the movies up. Do the third fact. I'll find Das Boot. Yeah. The monkey raising his paw and saying in his own language, Heil Hitler, was thought up by George Lucas and is one of Steven Spielberg's two favorite scenes. In the video box set, he says his other is his other favorite is the Where Doesn't It Hurt love scene on the ship. In Empire Magazine, Frank Marshall and said that they got the monkey to do the Nazi salute by putting a grape on a fishing pole and getting the monkey to reach for the grape, which was dangling just out of camera range. This took about 50 takes before it actually looked like a Nazi salute. Voiceover actor Frank Welker provided the chattering monkey sound, including the seagull-like chirp that the monkey gives when it raises its paw in salute. Welker later provided similar monkey chatter for Abu, the spider monkey in Disney's Aladdin. That's fantastic. Good old Frank Welker. Yep. Uh, Wolfgang Peterson directed Das Boot. Okay. I, I, I thought it was first name was Wolfgang, but I couldn't. The only last name I was coming up with was Puck, and I'm like, nope, that's a that's a chef. Oh, sure. Um, it's also four hours and 53 minutes long. It, yes. Is that the director's cut, or is that the regular cut? There's uh, Wolfgang Peterson. has been exhibited both as theatrical release and as a TV miniseries in 1985. Uh, various run times, as well as a director's cut by Peterson in 1997. Original run time is 149 minutes. So 60, 60 is 120. So it's two and a half hours. Yeah, so the three the three and a half is, is the director's cut of the, uh, or the miniseries. You mean the four, almost five hour yeah. cut? Yeah. So. yeah. It actually takes just as long as the war. Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah, so anyway, Raiders is great. It, it was and is and maybe shall ever be. Good for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, let's talk about On Golden Pond, directed by Mark Rydell, written by Ernest Thompson, based on his play, starring Catherine Hepburn, Henry Fonda, Jane 
Fonda and Doug McKean, nominated for a picture, supporting actress for Fonda, director, cinematography, sound, editing, and music. This movie won Best Actor for Fonda, Best Actress for Hepburn, and Adapted Screenplay. The story revolves around Norman, who is a curmudgeon with an estranged relationship with his daughter Chelsea. At Golden Pond, he and his wife nevertheless agree to care for Billy, the son of Chelsea's new boyfriend, in a most unexpected relationship blooms. I found this movie quite compelling. Um, there was some outstanding symbolism coupled with outstanding performances, particularly by Peter Fonda and Catherine Hepburn. Um, the score, the cinematography, all of it just all of it just really, really worked for me. Like, um, and I would say it's the performances that hold it together, but like I think that any strong performers, like the material is really I think the material is really there for them. Um, and this whole movie being about like Norman has like he's aging, he's seventy nine, he turns eighty in the film. He's got this fear of death or he's this obsession with dying, right? You know, and but also being young and all of this stuff and but I, I that is sadly ironic considering this was um Peter Fonda's second to last movie but i think it was the last, last one it was he did there's another one after this that's listed on his filmography but i think this one it, that one didn't come out until after he had died whereas he was like this one came out while he was still alive um if i'm I, if i'm not mistaken but yeah i found the whole thing excellent um especially for um fonda and hepburn who were just like extraordinarily good and i, I was laughing at it the whole time because like i can be a little curmudgeony at home and my wife a little uh, shush we don't live together you don't know um and my wife like is a big birder and all that stuff so whenever she was like she was like norman the the loons norman i was like this is this is my wife and i 50 years from now like no question <laughs> this was us during lockdown yeah pretty much <laughs> like the loons can't you hear them <laughs> she like makes the loon sounds and i'm just like i keep turning to look at my wife i'm like you do realize this is you right now never mind in 50 years um um, so yeah, I found I found it just a really really lovely um, really lovely film. What did you think? Um, I had low expectations of this movie because uh, we had talked and you were like, "Oh, all I have left is on Golden Pond," and you're know, like, "I started it," and then like a week later, I was like, "Oh, I just have one movie left." And you're like, "Oh, I still have the rest of on Golden Pond," oh. and I'm like, "Oh, wow, okay." Yeah, no, that was because my that's really enjoying it that much, huh? No, that's because my wife got engaged in it and so whenever we so whenever like she watches one like it, it usually takes it's usually just a longer process to, <laughs> to watch the movie um, so with my expectations low uh, this movie I really enjoyed this movie I I would say that it's on the back of the performances the story I think is fine but never really fleshed out too much for my for my sake uh, but it's still better than Atlantic City like it still has it's still has a story there that's a little bit engaging and Henry Fonda is just great Catherine Hepburn I realize she's a great actress and I'm not taking anything away from her but I will always stand by my comment of her Connecticut accent can be a little much at times it can be yeah and it's because it's a it's like a posh Connecticut accent where it's like yeah no I mean you know and what I found in really intriguing about her performance and like because we've seen other films where she's you know where she's on the older side we watched Lion in Winter many episodes ago um the head shaking that she does was that really her do you know if that was really her or if that's something that she like affected for the film to be like I'm old you know this is what old people do and they shake their heads. I mean it's probably both it could be both but like I don't remember I don't remember seeing her have that issue in in other films so I'm wondering because, if she did it because they didn't they didn't shake their heads back during the days of of Lion in the Winter sure Sure, why not? Yeah. Um, I mean, she also wasn't as old in Lion in the Winter either. Like, Lion in the Winter is, what, 60s? That was the... Yes? Yeah, so you're talking about 20 years. I mean, no. not 20, but like 15 years. The Lion in Winter. When was yeah. that? Uh, the, that's true. The Lion... I don't think it was that. It was definitely not the 70s. It's 60s or 50s. No, you were at 60s. 68. So it's like yeah. just 12, 12-ish years later. Yeah. 11, 12 years later. So that's plenty of time to develop a head shake. No, you're right. And I just it mean, is. And I just mean like in the age of Lion in the Winter, old people didn't shake their heads. I knew so. I knew, I knew, knew the joke you were making. But, yeah. Um, so... Yeah, but I, uh, I wasn't 
sure. But if it was affected, I it, like, and it wasn't, it wasn't her for real. I was like, that's like commitment to like doing a thing every time the camera's on. Like that's well, yeah, but that's Catherine Hepburn. I know, right? but that, that's what there's makes a her, reason she's a great actress. Yeah, that's what makes her extraordinary. So yeah, um, but truly, I really thought Peter Fonda was just like out of this world. I mean, he was always he's always good, but he just like the like the way he held himself, the way he like you know like move his eyes around, and he like stuck his he like pouted the whole time, like you could see it on his on his mouth. It was really really good, and their chemistry was outstanding. Yeah, and I know there's there was controversy over his win for best actor because um, Jane Fonda was Jane Fonda was campaigning heavily, and people felt that Burt Lancaster should have won. And I'm sorry, I've seen both movies, yeah. I've seen both performances. Peter Fonda should have won. There's no question. Like Burt Lancaster was good, and like, and it might even be the best he's ever been. But Peter yeah. Fonda was better. Like it just right. it, it just was, and good for you know like so so a daughter campaigned for her dad. Like okay, yeah, good for her. She was, was also dying. she was also good. You know like that's she was. Although she's not in the movie a lot. No. Um, I would have I would have liked to have seen her more. Like I. I probably really wished that this movie was more about like him connecting with his daughter than them caring for well, it her was, new but it was boyfriend's about... son. And I know it's a side story. Like it is kind of, especially towards the end. Like she's like, I w- really wish we had that kind of relationship, or you know, I was the son that you wanted. But I felt like like that was a more intriguing story to give more focus in the movie than what we got. Yeah, I I I liked the avenue that it it took like that because uh, I've seen a lot of movies where it's like directly about like the like the child and the parent mending their relationship but this was them like indirectly mending their relationship through like a third party that really didn't have like didn't belong to either of them um you know and it's also about you know Chelsea you know Jane Fonda's character like coming to terms with her with like her own feelings of um like neglect or um you know missed opportunities or something like that you know like her mother like flat out slaps her at one point and she's like like you have to get like start getting over it like you know like you gotta do something for yourself now um so i i i I thought it i thought it was even though she wasn't you know she's in europe for most of the most of the story but i and i enjoyed the way that it resolved itself that she needed to go on a journey and come back refreshed that was that worked for me yeah i would have liked that story a little bit more okay you do you give me some fun facts Jane Fonda recounted the scene between Chelsea and Norman when she tells him she wants to be his friend mirrored the real-life relationship between her father and daughter. During one take, when the younger Fonda unexpectedly grabbed her father's hand, Henry Fonda started to cry and ducked his head away from the camera, embarrassed by his tears. The take appears in the final film. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. The brown fedora worn by Henry Fonda belonged to Spencer Tracy and was given to Fonda by Catherine Hepburn on the first day on the set. Fonda overwhelmed by the gesture, painted a still-life watercolor of the three hats he wore in the film and gave the original to Hepburn as a gift. He had 200 lithographs made of the painting and sent one to every person who worked on the film. Each copy was numbered and personally signed by Fonda, thanking each person by name. In her autobiography, Hepburn wrote that she gave the painting to screenwriter Ernest Thompson after Fonda's death. She found the painting too sad to be a sad reminder of him and Tracy. Wow, that's actually really cool and sweet. Yeah. Before filming, Mark Rydell was warned by fellow director George Cukor that Catherine Hepburn would test him to see if she can work well with a new director. On the first day of filming, Hepburn arrived at the set dressed in a black silk polo neck shirt, matching trousers, a beautifully brown suede tailored jacket, and a matching sort of Robin Hood style hat, declaring herself ready for filming. Rydell refused to shoot as she was not in the intended wardrobe. It caused an argument on the set for quite a while, causing an embarrassment to the crew until she relented and taken to her dressing room, a cabin by the lake. Nonetheless, the first day's filming managed to be completed. According to Rydell, that was the test Hepburn had set on him, knowing that if he cannot stand up to her, nor he knows the material well, he risked being fired from the production. Such a waste of everyone's energy. Like, if like if she just showed up in the... If she just showed up in what she was supposed to do, like, then everything would have been... What a waste. Such a need- um, personally, I think the wrong choice was made. I want to see that outfit. I also would like to see that outfit too, but I do don't <laughs> think it was would be right for her character. Nah, it would it would have been fine. Okay. Um, <laughs> I rob from the rich and give to the poor, Norman. 
<laughs> what? Well, well, I mean, you know, we're not poor. You don't need to do that. But, you know, anyway. Um, Chariots of Fire, directed by Hugh Hudson, written by Colin Whelan, starring Ben Cross, Ian Charlson, and Ian Holm. Nominated for Supporting Actor for Home, Director, and Editing. This movie won Best Picture, Original Screenplay, Costume Design, and Music. Story revolves around two British track athletes, one a determined Jew and the other a devout Christian who compete in the 1924 Olympics. Um, good God, this movie was boring. Um, I was so looking forward to this movie about athleticism and running, and I was treated to a movie that was actually about prep schools and um, and about people getting over themselves and their misconceptions and all that stuff. And, like, all that's fine. Like, I don't have a problem with that. There's actually a really good movie somewhere else in there, but it wasn't this one. And I was I was really disappointed because Chariots of Fire is so highly spoken of. And I think the people that's actually just the score, um, which is like is fun for like uh, fun for its time. I think, you know, because you have this maybe a more traditional movie and here's like we're taken synth seriously. It's the 80s. So like this is reg serious music. And everyone knows the Chariots of Fire theme, even if you haven't seen the film, which I think is a testament to its to the music. But as a as an Olympic film, very little Olympics happen. So little. Many, no Olympic like, I've watched more of the Olympics like, by the time this episode gets released, like, I like the Olympics are, the Olympics are far from, are far over, but like, I watched more of the Olympics over the summer than like, you know, I just, yeah, I just did not enjoy this the way that I, I wanted to. It's well shot, Ian Holm, like, but like, Ian Holm does a good job, um, but it's just, it, it just failed to engage me on almost every level you go tim it's not about the destination which is the olympics it's about the journey and taking the time to develop these characters over this long journey and not taking the quick path to the end so you didn't like it either did you eh, not no not really <laughs> not, <laughs> i was like those, I, <laughs> those are all things that i say but you hate all of those things <laughs> so it was funny i was watching this i i watched this uh at work and i i had finished it and then about 20 minutes later a customer uh comes in and like and this customer watches a bunch of movies especially older movies and we you know we always chat for a bit and he was like oh so what are you watching for the podcast and i was like well i just watched chariots of fire and he was like and he stopped and he was like you know i've seen that movie and i don't remember anything about it and i was like well that's funny because i just finished watching it 10 minutes ago and i don't remember anything about it yep. like that's how like that's how much that this movie like almost immediately leaves your your brain as you're watching it because eh, like okay the music's good the theme the world famous chariots of fire theme is one scene at the very beginning of this 72 hour movie mm -hmm. yep that's correct yep it's like it doesn't it does i don't think that the movie like yes it's about the journey and blah 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 and normally that's fine all stories are about the journey. They should have just gotten on the damn eagles. That's right. But the, the there's no, there's no, it doesn't feel like there's any emotional buildup. And like, right. it doesn't, there's no stake. There's no build. There's nothing. And like, and that shouldn't be because it's about the 1924 Olympics. And it's about like over, like people overcoming their, their biases and their like, and like, and their racial issues and like all this stuff that like should make a like a good story but none of but it but nobody kind of nobody cares. nobody like actively stops them no exactly they're just like oh so i'm good at running and then yeah. i continued to be good at running right until the and end of the movie like, even like the quote-unquote crux or the problem or the issue that needs to be resolved in the movie he's like hey my run is on sunday i'm not running on sunday i'm religious okay um then we'll then why did you try out for the Olympics? We'll, we'll try to resolve that, I guess. Like, and, but, and even then, it's like, hey, by the way, I can I can switch with them. I don't mind running on Sunday.
Sunday. All right, there you go. Problem solved. Problem solved, everybody. We did it. Scheduling but conflict. Like, this movie's main problem, like, m- main conflict is a scheduling issue. Right. And I'm sitting there going, why would you, like, why would you try out for the Olympics if you have no, con- like, if you have no control over when the Olympics are? Like, you know when the Olympics are, but you don't know, like, when each of the events are. Like, yeah, your event could be on a Sunday. Yeah. If And if it is, you're not going to run. So why bother taking somebody else's spot? I don't know. He's the just- the Chick-fil-A of, of the Olympic world. I, I don't know what to tell you. You know, it just, I just, it's one of the most, uh, truly, it's, I think this is one of the most disappointing wins that I've come across in a while where I go, really? Like, Raiders, Golden Pond, Reds? These were solid movies. Like, they, they like, they're, these are well-made, competent movies with a lot to like in them, and Cherry right. to Fire is what wins the day? Like, yeah. No. I don't, I honestly don't get it. Um, and really like the fact that like he takes somebody else's spot knowing that he won't run on certain days like really doesn't make me like him the best part of this movie is the very small snippet of he's an english man that we see from them performing the asian mess pinafore yep i loved that that was one of the best bits i also really enjoyed ian holm punching a hole in his straw hat well, yeah, that's what you do. Yep, with a straw hat. Yeah, that those though. If those are the best things in the movie, it's not worth your time. Right. Truly, just listen to the just listen to the chariots of fire theme, and you're fine. You've got the best yep. part. Give me some what I hope are fun facts for a very unfun <laughs> film. Stephen Fry had a cameo in this movie, singing in the chorus of the Cambridge HMS Pinafore production. He is the third face to the right of Harold Abrams, singing "He Is an English Man." He's on screen for about thirty-five seconds. That's great. I wish I knew that before watching this movie. Sir Kenneth Brogna was a gopher for the shoot and is also in one scene as an extra. He is a Cambridge student in the Society Day crowds, wearing a gray knit vest with dark trim, a white shirt, and a dark tie. He is on screen for 20 seconds, starting at about 11 minutes. Also a fun fact that I wish I knew was previous to this film. Although it received a standing ovation when shown in in competition at the 1981 Cannes Film Festival. This movie was mercilessly savaged by French critics because it called the French the frogs and an unprincipled lot. In order to prevent the negative critical response from hurting its international distribution, Roger Ebert lobbied the other American critics in attendance to award it the American Critics Prize, which they did in a 6-5 to five vote. This marks the only time in the 60-year history of the festival that this award has been presented. Damn, Roger Ebert. I, I Exactly. I don't if if maybe if Roger Ebert doesn't do that this movie never gets nominated maybe and then we could have had something else Evil Dead Evil Dead sure yeah never would have happened but sure yeah no, Evil I, I'm I'm convinced Evil Dead lost out by one vote yep I'm sure I mean hey we've had seen you know horror films on this list before you know Silence of the Lambs was last episode The Exorcist was last season so it happens yeah yeah all right um before we talk about the 1982 rewindies let's remind people where they can find us on Twitter and Gmail and the dot coms at Academy Rewind. You can rate and review us on iTunes. You can find me at TimothyPG13. Uh, you can go to ThoughtBubbleAudio.com to find all other ThoughtBubble Audio shows and support us at Patreon.com slash ThoughtBubbleAudio. Palmer, it's the time for the 1982 Rewindies. Uh, woo! Woo! Rewindies! Supporting actor all the way to Best Picture. You can only choose out of the five movies nominated here. Let's start with Best Supporting Actor. I give to Jack Nicholson for Reds. I will give it to Jack Nicholson for Reds. I want to give it. I want to give it to Marcus Brody. He's just not in enough. Of the he's movie. just not. He's not. He's barely supporting. Barely a player. Yeah. If this was Last Crusade, if this was lo- if this, go yeah. for it. Yeah, lost in his own museum. Yeah. But even then, in that case, he would lose out to Sean Connery. Absolutely, he would absolutely lose out to Sean Connery. You're right. <laughs> Poor Marcus Brody. Always lost, even in his own museum. So. I really, I, I, I really want them to do like a, a Indiana Jones TV series and have that be one of the episodes. Oh, where he's just lost in his own museum. I would love yep. that. I would love actually Indy before 1936, just like him and Bullock just going for different, like just going for different stuff. Well, we had Indy before 1936. It was called you, the Young, young Indiana Jones. I know, Chronicles. but show me more of that, please. He was too young. Um, <laughs> and so, give me like adult Indiana Jones previous to 1936. 36. Um, <laughs> Young adult Indiana Jones Chronicles. There you go. That's what I'm looking for. Um, best supporting actress I give to... <sighs> 
Jane Fonda in On Golden Pond, I guess. Um, I'm going to give it to Karen Allen. Oh, yeah, she's great. She's just not, I just don't think there's enough there to be like, here's all like emotional, but Karen Allen should have been a bigger star. Mm. She's excellent. Uh, production design, I give to Rages of the Lost Ark. Uh, production design, I would give to Reds. Okay. Costume design, I give to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark, yeah. yeah. I just the, the, the hat and jacket is just a little too iconic not to mm-hmm. do in retrospect. Makeup and hairstyling, I give to Reds. I give to Reds. Yeah. Music, I give to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yes, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Visual effects, I give to Raiders of the Lost Ark. On Golden Pond. What? Oh, when when Peter Fonda goes flying through the air. <laughs> <laughs> Whee! Yeah, is that your, that's, the, that's your visual effect? Yep. Uh, no, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Okay. Um, cinematography, um, this is actually really tough because I, I, I think a lot of these, I think a lot of these movies are like actually really, they're really well shot. Um, but I'm going to give it to Raiders because there's just, there's a few more of the iconic scenes that like still exist within people's memories or are still influenced by how this film is shot where you can't say that for other movies. Yeah, like the reveal of Indy's face. Yes, yeah. The for re- one is like such an iconic moment. Yeah. I, I would agree. Raiders Lost Ark. Yeah. So um, editing, I'll give to Raiders. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, sound, I also give to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, sound, I would give to Reds. Okay. Um, actor, I give to Peter Fonda on Golden Pond. Peter Fonda. Actress, I give to Catherine Hepburn on Golden Pond. Diane Keaton. Yeah, that's what the, I had a hard time choosing, but I this is a weird like even though this is all in the past, I'm like, but Catherine Hepburn, she's so close to the end of her life here. I have to <laughs> like, I have to give it to her even though she's already won a few times. Um from me, I've given her those awards. Um writing I give to On Golden Pond. Yeah, On Golden Pond. Yeah. Best director I give to Warren Beatty for Reds. <laughs> like um he pulled it together. I think it's well pulled together in a way that only the director can make it work. Um, Steven Spielberg, Radio Lost Right on. What did you pick for Best Picture? Because that's what we're doing On next. Golden Pond. Yeah, me too. All right, yeah. It's even, Raiders is technically... I love Raiders. It's a great movie. I will watch it anytime. I think at the end of the day, even though it stands the test of time, I think On Golden Pond is just more... Like, it's like it. you hear it screaming Best Picture. Yep, I... I completely agree and sometimes that's it it works uh, like sometimes that's okay that like a movie screams best picture and doesn't win but in this case like Raiders like I said before Raiders sits like with the like Jaws and Star Wars and those movies like here they are they're like they're technically very well put together the production the costume the music the this whatever else but so is on Golden Pond all the the music in on Golden Pond is excellent it's it's beautifully shot the the sound is good like all of it's great it just it's you know it's but at the but at the end when you when all those things also work the acting is also extraordinary and that really pulls the whole that pulls the whole thing together so yeah on golden pond it is yep cool all right up next 1972 the movies are as follows the french connection a clockwork orange the last picture show nicholas and alexandria and fiddler on the roof we are in for some movies my friend but until next time they are playing us off no i have some more people to thank it's too bad bye bye